Brand, reputation and culture can be impacted by bad processes just as much as they can by a good marketing campaign. They are three topics that are linked and critical to business, be it large or small. Carl Treacher is the CEO at the Brand Institute and an adjunct associate professor at Griffiths Business School. His research into the relationship between brand, reputation and culture has led to 60 published articles along with speaking engagements at TEDx and the Committee for Economic Development in Australia, also known as CEDA. The acronyms don't stop there. Carl has worked with NAB, MYOB, PWC and ACCC and many other leading Australian organisations. But today, here's my guest on Comical. Oprah, Steve Jobs, Andrew Denton, Arne Doe. To me, these guys are masters of communication. The rest of us, well, mainly you, because I'm a pro, fumble our way through. Comical examines this funny little thing called communication that can either tear us down or make us sore. Join me, I'm an amateur comedian and a communication expert. Join me and listen, learn and laugh through the experiences of my very talented guests. Welcome, Carl. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Great to be here. Now, do I call you Professor Carl? How do you like to be referred to? Well, here's the thing. Of course, I like to be referred to as Professor Carl Treacher. <laughs> <laughs> the only issue with that is technically to be called Professor, you should actually be actively teaching at an uh-huh. institution or university at the time. I am involved with Griffith MBA and Griffith Business School, but to be calling someone a professor, they really need to have their sleeves rolled up and be doing something day to day that involves education. And I'm working in the corporate sector and I'm an executive in residence. So given that and the fact that you and I have known each other for 18 years, <laughs> and I do want to talk a lot about that, I think let's just call me Carl. All right, Carl, I will. And do you know it's a year to the day since we've seen each other? Because it's a year to the day that I did that comedy event at the Opera House. Oh, that was great. That was hilarious. Wowie. I wish I got that reaction when I changed it so good. Why? So um I'm 40 and I'm a mother of two beautiful young kids. And I'm at that stage in my life where I've really started to study my body. Because no one else does. Um, and I've been to the good old days when being a MILF meant wearing nice clothes, just fixing your hair, shaving your toes. That was it, clogged up, you know? But standards have changed and it bothers me a little bit. You know, I've got some of my friends who look fantastic and that's because they've got great DNA. And then I've got other friends of mine who look amazing because they've got DNA American Express and they swipe the fat away. But I've taken a leaf out of Marie Kondo's book, personally. I fold my gut into my jeans. That was one of the favourite evenings of 2019. Oh, I thank you for saying so, Carl. I was the best, Mm. right, out of everybody? You're easily the best. I don't remember anyone else. Now, speaking of the best, you are the man when it comes to brand reputation and culture. And so I'm thrilled that we get the chance to talk today. I wanted to start by asking you to kind of define the difference between brand reputation and culture. 
No, no problem. Look, before we start there, let's actually start at the start. So 18, this, 18 years ago, I met you. You were a young 20-something <laughs> working in an elite uh, group of people in a corporate consulting firm in the city, and that was amazing. I have just wanted to say, before we start, watching your career over the last 18 years has been a highlight of my life as well. You <laughs> Thanks, just Tom. shot the lights out. You were the most rambunctious, disruptive, you know, in some instances, uh, terrifying uh, person I've met <laughs> at the time. And so look at you now. All right, so back to your question. So the difference <laughs> between brand culture and reputation. Let's let's keep this as light as possible. Okay, so in terms of a definition, brand is essentially what you're recognised for. It's the collection of thoughts and feelings people will have about you, and reputation is your sense of trust and credibility, and they are obviously inextricably linked. Culture, on the other hand, is the driving force behind that. So, how do you ensure consistency of that particular appeal or um, or brand image? Mm-hmm. Okay. And can one be strong if the other is weak? Like, for example, you said brand and reputation are linked. Can you have a great yeah. brand but a poor reputation? Yeah, and there's some really, really good examples of that. So Nike over the years and look, a lot of the technology firms as well have had questionable reputation because of their work ethic and their work conditions, in, particularly in Southeast Asia. So mm-hmm. in terms of credibility and the perceptions of the way that their employee culture exists, there's big questions over that. However, from a brand perspective, they're smashing it. You know, Samsung's one of those. Apple have had their issues. Nike's had their issues. I think we all remember that, you know, sweatshops mm. and Nike. But yeah. at the same time, their brand was very dominant and remains dominant. And, you know, from a personal perspective, you think about Mike Tyson and even Arnold Schwarzenegger to some extent. Personally, yeah. their reputation have had peaks and troughs, but yeah. their brands remain very strong. So how does that work? How do you build a strong brand while you're, you know, obviously making some mistakes or your reputation isn't as good as it should be? Well, it's a, it's a psychological question. And the answer is deeply rooted in the way people make decisions. So for some people, they'll actually care. Their moral code and their ethics will be so strong that the reputation will dominate their decision-making and their behaviour. Right. For others that are operating and making choices for other reasons, they'll just choose a brand because they like it or because, yeah, they're aware of the reputation issues, but it doesn't actually interfere with whether they decide that brand is either going to perform the role they want it to or represents them in their life. Wow. So is therefore one not necessarily more important than the other? It depends on the industry and the business. So in some industries, reputation is incredibly important. You know, a banking industry, for instance, incredibly important. We trust them with our money. You know, nothing's Mm. probably more important than that right now, that we need to know governance, leadership, the way that they're managing our money, the way that they're operating is actually truly customer-centric. And that Mm. comes from the culture and every reputation scandal starts in cultural dysfunction. Wow. Okay. So can you give me an example of that, a recent one? You know, actually, before you answer that, yes, um, I listened to your interview on the ABC about mm. Dreamworld. Mm. Yeah. And you were mentioning that their brand is about fun and entertainment, but that their mm. reputation has to be all about safety because how can you have fun if you don't feel mm. safe? So in a case yeah. like that, right, before that mm. tragic incident happened a few years back where a few mm. people died while they were on one of their rides, yeah. their reputation wouldn't have really been front of mind because you just made that assumption that they're safe, etc. So brand would have been more important at that time. Yep, for sure. 
No, you are, you are dead set right. Brand for them being in the leisure, entertainment, tourism game was dominant. And so we had an assumption, much like we do with airlines, much like we do with the police force right now. And I think in mm. America, it's, it's really pertinent to look at that, where we just assume that every police officer is a good apple. We assume that they've been screened, that they've got the right you know, ethics and the right values in place to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. We don't think for a second that there's ever, ever going to be a deviation from that. So with Dreamworld, for them to demonstrate such gross misconduct to mm. the extent that they didn't maintain their rides, they didn't maintain the level of personnel they needed to, to support what is something that is terrifying. You know, these rides are designed to scare the, the hell out of you, mm. not to kill you. You know, yeah. it's the fear of death that actually drives people to these amusement parks, not actually dying. So it's an absolute assumption that that's, um, that's taken care of. And so reputation, whilst building a reputation and managing one falls in the comms space, ultimately yeah. it's, it's based in how you behave, how you operate as a company. Yes, entirely. And back to your point around reputation and culture. An example, you said, what yeah. does that look like? Well, we came out of, most people know we came out of a quite damning raw commission into the banking sector, you know, uh-huh. how are banks behaving? We lost several CEOs from that. Senior leaders lost their job because of the culture that they hadn't instilled through the organisation to mm. perform well. So you've got to remember, this all rolls up together. Once we talk about brand culture reputation separately, let's take it out of the corporate speak and into the customer landscape. Yeah. So you yeah. go, righto, as a customer, what do I care about? I care that you're going to give me something of value and you're going to deliver on that. Okay, that's really going to be very attractive. It's going to be distinct. It's going to be appealing for me and you're going to deliver on it consistently so I can trust you. Right, that's all I really want. But then you jump the fence into the corporate landscape or into the business world mm. and it, everything gets a bit messy. It gets a bit siloed. We forget the fact that actually we're serving a customer here who has an expectation that we've created, whether it be mm. through our advertising or what we've said about it or their prior experience. Mm. We've now got an obligation to actually meet that. And that comes from the culture that we set in the business, which is essentially what are the behaviours, what are our values, what are we incentivised to do? Mm. And that has to be focused on the customer, particularly now in the pandemic. That means we're talking about a lot of departments working together here, right? Does that happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. Does it happen well? Of course not. (laughs) No. Think about two people. That's why you're around. Two people get along well? No. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm never busier than when there's crisis. You know, particularly in large iconic organisations, we've been doing it for 20 years. We just specialise in evolving brands and every brand is trying to evolve now in one way or another and mm. culture's at the heart of that. But yet to your point, do they get along? Hell no. Like they don't get along. I mean, you and I getting along now for this 20 minutes, 35 <laughs> minutes might be all over. You know, there's, there's certain people that you and I know and have worked with in the past that we don't get along with. It. And then for, unfortunately, in big companies, you have to. Yeah. You've got to come to an agreement. And you can do that if you keep the customer at the heart of your conversation and you take the person, personal elements out of it. You just mentioned then that you work with the big iconic brands and help them to evolve. Do you work at all or have you had an interest in working with brands that show promise and that are starting up? and helping them establish themselves from the get-go to be a strong brand with a good reputation and a good culture? Do I have an interest? Yes, I have an interest. I haven't had enormous experience there. I've spent most of my time with big organisations, mostly because 
it's more complex. You know, if we're working mm. with 30,000 people or yeah, 1,000 people, you know, like, like the smallest companies we've worked with have uh, been MYB and REA Group, which have been around 1,000 people each. And yeah. so that's still complex because we're talking about 1,000 people coming together for a mm. joint you know, purpose. But yeah. I get really fascinated by how do you pull 33,000 people together to make sure they're all reading the same lines and delivering the same thing to customers effectively. That's an insane challenge. And so to that point, how do employee behaviours contribute to a building of a brand? They're, they're really critical. You know, I think the 80s and 90s, we started talking about vision and mission. You know, let's, let's stand up the organising assets. Let's stand up what we're actually trying to do and how we're going to do it, mm. which was great. It's a good start. But they're just words on the wall. You know, it's mm. like the uh, the team photo of the soccer team before the whistle blows. Like it mm. doesn't matter. What matters is the whistle <laughs> yeah. blows. You run onto the field. You've snotted someone. Now someone else has got an elbow to the jaw. And like how do you recover from that? Well, you're down three zip and there's five minutes to go. What are you going to do? And that's where culture comes to the fore. And so for me that's incredibly invigorating because it's, it's not warfare, but it is certainly a heightened sense of existence that – we're actually talking about the flow of the organisation. We're talking about multiple personalities, multiple incentives, siloed businesses trying to do things. And back to your point around the customer, you know, we started a company called Brand Behaviour 18 years ago, which now is a product within the Brand Institute. And I thought, this is easy. You know, we'll do this. This is basic. We just get the promise from the company, like a bank or whoever it might be, Nike, you know, just do this or impossible is nothing without it us. Mm. There's your promise. Let's make the employees deliver that. Mm. Well, boy, that has it's 18 years and it's still going. You know, I thought, let's, let's, let's give you a guidebook and a video and away you go. Yeah. We're people. No. We need more than that. No, so, it doesn't so work. So what is it? What, what do we need? You need a combination of things. And so you need leadership's the first thing and the most important. You have to have strong leadership. And everyone talks about strong leadership. And you've got to make sure we're actually talking about the real thing. You've got to get the right person. Forget about their behaviours and what they're saying and doing. Get the right person. If it's the wrong person, the culture will never be effective. That's the key message. The way executive search firms and recruitment firms are recruiting people at the moment is grossly inadequate. We're seeing that because leadership isn't at the level that it should be. You know, people have to have a great sense of empathy, great emotional intelligence, which was a, one of your podcasts recently. Yep. I found that fascinating. And that's a prerequisite. Before we start talking about capability and psychometric testing, firstly, are you a psychopath? Are you a sociopath? Do you actually <laughs> care about other people? Yeah. Well, let's start there. Let's start with that. And when we get past that, we can then get into, okay, how are you going to lead this business? So that's the first thing. The second is effective communication through the business. Are you telling people what you expect? Thirdly, are you incentivizing that? Are you incentivizing that behavior? And fourthly, are you supporting it and enabling it? Mm. And that's it. That's it. If you get those things right, guess what? Yeah. Your culture is going to be brilliant. And we've seen that. We've seen terrific culture in play and also shocking culture play out. The list that you just shared sounded really mm. positive, i.e. how do you encourage, how do you inspire, or how do you reward? Does that mean that mm. there shouldn't be any ramifications for bad behaviour? What happens if somebody doesn't follow or embrace the values or the expectations that you set for them? So there's a really, I think a lot of companies are doing it well of following a particular formula and they've come from various authors. Carolyn Taylor's one, she wrote a book called Walk the Talk. There's another great book called Culture Fix at the moment mm -hmm. around the place. Some of the things that we've borrowed from or been inspired by from that sort of thinking is behaviour symbols and systems. 
you know, you've got your behaviours. You say, okay, what do we expect from people? Mm-hmm. But behaviours aren't just what you say and how you greet people and the way you mm-hmm. show up. It's what you actually do. So it's where the company spends its time and money. So the big sort of behaviours and symbols piece is, is, is critical. The mm-hmm. systems part is are there ramifications for mm-hmm. misconduct? You know, and we've yeah. seen misconduct playing out in aged care, misconduct playing out in the banking sector. Often it's not that there aren't penalties. Mm-hmm. It's that there isn't a, um, a level of assessment and identification in place to identify when someone's actually deviated from the path. Right. If yeah. somebody's deviating from that path but they're bloody good at their job. Yeah. And that I've seen it happen. Yeah, sure. I, I might You're have even been the person You're in it. that position. Yeah. It's your self, self-reflection <laughs> it's right me. there. Yeah, I know. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to say anything, but no. <laughs> There it is. Honestly, uh, what does a what does a business owner do or a, or a leader do in those situations? Well, it's tough. Often depends on where the business is at the time. You know, if that person's performing well and results are important to the organisation as a cultural priority, it's about seeing if it's possible to coach that person toward the other elements that are cultural priorities. So results might be important and they're performing well, but they might be, you know, falling over when it comes to collaboration and care and, and customer centricity. Mm. And yeah. there might be results at all costs. You know, Donald Trump right now is for him, his result is winning the election. So he is doing everything that he can. That's a great example of results at all costs and a mm. complete dismissal of other things that actually matter. And I think that, you know, we all hope that will, grossly backfire and you know he becomes the laughing stock of the world that he already is but it's hard to know but back to your point what do you do you try and coach it out but look some people they're not coachable some people have a particular operating rhythm way of moving through their business and their life and they're very happy um not taking on the collective values and behaviors yeah that's really interesting actually again you're such a the way you frame things is so positive even the way that you look at it and you say, well, you coach them through it, you know, not you, it wasn't an answer about, well, they're, they're not right, you get rid of them, you give them a warning, you speak to HR. It was about you work mm. with them. It's, it's almost like accepting, okay, well, this person is great and is valued, so how can we help them do better? It's an interesting way to frame it mentally. Yeah, and it's the, the easy way is to shoot them. You know, mm. the easy way is to be black and white, you're no good, you've got to go. Well, it, look, sometimes that is true, and, but you've got to make sure, you know, from an IR perspective and industrial relations perspective yeah. and also other things that you've got all your ducks in a row if that's the case and you being married to a, to a lawyer, I'm sure you've got, you know, you'd be listening to that every, every night, but I'd love to see your contract too, actually. <laughs> you've got some. <laughs> and look, whether he is or isn't my lawyer as well, that's uh, another, another matter. We're talking about people and people are in many instances coachable and can change and can embrace new ways if it's positioned well for them. And that's yeah. got to be the way we approach it. That said, if there's a cultural terrorist in the organisation, someone yeah. that has a significant dysfunction to their personality that is irreparable and uncoachable, yes, they need to go and they need to go very quickly. Otherwise, the organisation is seen to be endorsing that behaviour. Yeah. And that's huge. And we see that all the time. It's really so from from a from an influencing or or a kind of uh, motivating staff to embrace the values, the systems, and the processes that you put forward. I mean, how can a company do that? What inspires staff, or what works for them? That's a great. It's a great one because the intuitive answer is wrong. 
you know, the intuitive answer is great leadership, make some really compelling, inspiring statements, paint a vision, paint the future for them, put the beacon on the hills, we love to say, and then, you know, make it easy for them to get there. People care about themselves. People are inherently excessively selfish, self-obsessed. And that is a reality. It's not a criticism of humanity or the human condition. That's where we're at right now. Mm. So if you aren't positioning something that's benefit to the employee, they are not going to do it. You know, we've had examples before. We've had great leaders, terrific leaders, great leadership um, structure, values, all, all the organizing assets are in place, excellent communication, great signs that this is the way that we're, we're moving without the compelling truth or the compelling element for employees to really engage in it. And you've got to look at what matters to employees. And that's used to be, you know, people would join a company and, and leave their manager. And it's an old saying that their manager was so important as the most important thing. Yeah. Well, it is that, but it's also progress. These days, particularly with the you know, tech being as dominant as it is, when you look mm. at human motivation, people get a kick out of progressing. They get a kick out of getting better, learning, doing things. And so every mm. company right now is on the, on the hunt to have a better learning culture because one, it's motivating and two, it actually is a prerequisite to having an innovation business. You have to be doing things to be learning and acquiring new skills always. It doesn't mean having an academy or having a professor come and talk, please, if you'd like, I'm available. <laughs> it, it, it means always learning, being always switched on to help people find new and better ways of doing things in the name of customer centricity. And what about purpose? Does purpose matter? Purpose matters if it's done well and if it's not motherhood, if it's not seen to be just a, a fun statement that someone put together that reads as a strap line. You know, if it's actually hard hitting and you believe in the purpose, it really matters. It can be very motivating. Now, of course, all of these things work provided that the basics are met. It's kind of like the dream world example, right? So the brand's about fun, but we expect them to at least at a minimum be safe and care for our safety. Would it be the same yeah. for, for people, which is, yes, we want to learn and, and we want to progress, but the base is that I'm paid well and I'm treated well. Yeah, that's for sure. And even more so now, you know, security has climbed a ladder in terms of what people care about. Really? Is my job safe? Am I being mm. in the conditions? Am I being looked after? You know, we came out of a point of People talked about psychological safety for a long time in the last decade. You know, am I psychologically safe at work? Unfortunately, that's sort of taken a, a bit of a backseat to do I have a job? You know, instead of, yeah, you know, right. do I live in a political environment where I feel like I'm being psychologically tortured, which is unfortunately quite common. Mm. Now people are really interested in what's the degree of security and safety and trajectory that I have. People are very grateful just to have their jobs and yeah. sort of seeing a redirection of motivation towards doing a great job because you got one. Yeah, I know. Hmm. It's kind of sad in many ways right now that people are feeling that way. Yeah, it, well, it's sad, but I also secretly like part of it. I, I like that we've just the sort of elitist, I can do anything indulgence that has been rife across, you know, corporate Australia and certainly corporate America. Mm. It's sort of a bit of a leveler now, you know, it's less about yeah. you. I'm hoping things like Instagram fall on their face, you know, it's not about <laughs> <laughs> You're not a fan of influencers? I'm just not a fan of, do I look flash right now? Let me just get my abs out and here's a terrific shot for my followers and getting a self-esteem kick out of having a number of followers that are looking at you. I think mm. given we have one life and it's relatively short, there's probably better ways of spending our time. Amen to that. Carl, this yeah. stuff doesn't sound easy. 
building a brand, yeah. building a good reputation and building a yeah. culture and nurturing it. How much yeah. time does it take to do these things? There are parts that are easy. So brand identity is easy. It's fun. It's sexy. It's really engaging. It's about visual stimulation. It's the eye candy. How can I represent myself? This is unreal. Mm -hmm. I came out of that background as, as you know, you know, supporting brands like Future Space a long time ago where you get paid stupid amounts of money to put together a logo. And this is this, and you tell a story and the story would be, you know, very, very emotive, Uh, hopefully. And then you get paid. But the reality is it doesn't really do anything unless mm-hmm. you're doing the things in the background. And your point around how long does that take? That takes an eternity. You know, every company, regardless of its size, if you're talking about shifting, shaping and evolving its culture, that's a period of years more mm. often than not. There's a couple of things that can expedite that if mm-hmm. they are moving uh, location. So if they're relocating their offices, right. you've got an oppor- a bit of a free kick. You've got an opportunity to, to set that office up in line with their aspirational culture. We do a heap of this, which is workplace identity. How do we get yep. the workplace to yell and shout, here's what we're about now, you know, and you immerse them in that. And humans, yep. as we know, respond to being immersed in environments. So that expedites it. Other than that, the other things that will ex- expedite is new leadership turnover. And that means wow. fire and fire. Yep. And so this is something that people should be working on ongoing. If I'm a small business and I don't have somebody that's, you know, head of culture, head of people and culture or internal comms or I might just have a marketing executive working for me, just, you know, getting me the local paper, am I still able to build a brand and manage a reputation and establish a culture? You have to. And I've got two clients at the moment that I'm coaching or advising just for the love of it. You know, one's Mm -hmm. one's a PR firm, not in competition to anything you may do, and the other is a a close friend of mine who runs a really successful vet practice and he's like mm-hmm. he's part of that new Bondi vet program. Both of them have to be known. So there's the role of brand. They have to be trusted. They yeah. have to have all their ducks in a row. So there's reputation for you. Mm-hmm. And they have to deliver. So there's culture. So there's in every instance, they need all three assets and they need to, it's not, it's not about building a library of intelligence and resources around those. It's just mm-hmm. about really simply, how do I navigate each of those? And for us, mm-hmm. for those clients or friends, I should say, we just use three pages. Here's your brand on a page. Yeah. as a particular device that we use just to make sure they stay central yeah. and they don't deviate because there's always, there's always an opportunity to go sideways. Here's your reputation. Here's the things that you actually, that you're, customers care about and the public care about that you've got to knock out of the park Mm. and then culturally here's your priorities here's where you need to spend your money here's where you need to spend your time with your staff if you've got any if you don't doesn't matter here's where you need to spend your time building your own business Mm. and then together those three assets you know that performance triad of brand reputation and culture is what every company needs to succeed that's awesome thank you for that that's Mm. really insightful and i think really helpful for anybody who's building a business at the moment and thinking, well, how do I establish a brand and how do I make my company, how do I actually establish a company? Because I I feel that without these things, do you really have a business or are you just transacting (laughs) and providing stuff? Yeah, that's a good point. It's easy enough to register a company now and just say, there it is. But you don't actually have a brand. If we think about a brand being the collection and thoughts that a group of people have about a particular thing, if there's not a group of people, there's no brand. That's right. Yeah, it's really interesting. Thank you so much, Carl. That was really insightful. 
And I'm right. sure really helpful to, to those who are listening and even I learned a lot. And I'm thrilled that I was able to get this time with you without having to pay for your expertise. Woohoo! No one said anything about that. <laughs> Don't send me an invoice. I, I'm just going to ghost you. Are you kidding me? Um, now, back to 2002, you okay. were about 22 and I was asked to do an executive presence presentation skills mastery program with you. Uh-huh. So I had eight or 10 people in that room, one of which is now my wife, which is, was probably the best outcome. But I remember, you know, I'd been doing this for a couple of years, watching you present, thinking, I do not know. You're either going to be incredibly successful, you're so engaging, or you're going to prison. And so... <laughs> From my knowledge, it's sort of two out of three at the moment. Could go. I've dodged prison, although I have to tell you, I've got my youngest kid. We always look at her and say either she's going to do something great or, mate, thank God her dad's a lawyer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If she's anything like you, I think that's bang on. Are you doing any any more coaching or presentation training or stuff like that or have you left it in the... I haven't done it for years. I wouldn't have you were done brilliant it for at it. 12 years. Oh, it was good fun at the time. It was exhausting and I got to work with some excellent people. I mean, that was, that was probably one of the best things. I sort of roll it into some of the work I do now with celebrity and high-profile individuals if we're doing reputation work. You know, yeah. A couple of premiers and, you know, Australian cricket team and swim team over the years and that sort of thing, that, you know, Australian of the year where we look at their reputation and then the things that influence their reputation obviously is the way they present themselves in public. Mm. So if they do need to touch up and some do and some don't, you know, if you think about Mike Baird, who um, we've worked with over the years, he doesn't, didn't need any help. You know, he's a brilliant, engaging leader that mm. didn't need too much, but it was just wonderful to sort of watch his, you know, short but very effective tenure in, in Parliament. That's going to be very polarising for your listeners, I'm sure, but he did some great things. What do you think of, uh, you brought it up, so now I'm really interested. Okay, sure. Julia Gillard. Yeah, Julia Gillard, yeah. The way in which she presented herself. Do you think that that did her any favours? No, of course not. Yeah, of course not. She and I don't have a, I, I'm going to stay away from any perspective or view on her policy, but her personal behaviours needed a heap of work. You know, she yeah. needed a lot of coaching. Some people in Australia, of course, don't want a more polished version of a person. But mm. in, from my perspective, even keeping her authenticity and her genuine, sincere nature, mm. we could have probably helped her be more appealing and mm. get her message across without some of the confusion that was mm. created at the time. Can you help Donald Trump? I don't think you'd work with him if he asked, but if he did and you didn't <laughs> yeah. have ethics and morals, do you think you could help yeah. him? That's the best question I've ever been asked uh, because the other elements sort of preclude me from even thinking about it because he's the worst leader in my lifetime anywhere in any realm. Could he be helped? Absolutely not. I think he's hardwired, narcissistic, psychopath, and I think the world would be better without him in it. Okay, fair call. Yeah, and I definitely wouldn't help him. And that I knew, which is why I premised it. Yeah. If, if you had yes. no ethics or morals, no, I know, I yes. definitely know you wouldn't. Carl, I could talk to you all day. You have to be one of the most interesting people ever and the most intelligent. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I genuinely really appreciate it. Pleasure. I could talk to you too only because you say things like that about me. <laughs> I'll keep rep- I'll, I'll actually <laughs> no, send you that recording I'm every loath. time I need something. I'm loath. Yeah, terrific. Perfect. You're the best. Thank you so much, Carl. Thanks. No problem. It's been great being here. Thanks, Marie.
And that's comical for this week. If you'd like to join the show, suggest a topic or ask me a question, hit me up on Instagram at Maria Daggle or email me, comicalpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See ya.